0: But we're going to be over in the book of, the, of Genesis here today. The book of Genesis, if you want to turn over there or look up on the screen, you can go either way that you want. We're going to be in chapter 48. There was a little girl who was sitting watching her mother do the dishes right at the kitchen sink, and as she was watching her mom, she noticed that there were a couple of little white hairs that were sticking out. And she said, Mommy, how come some of your hairs are turning white? So mom thought for a little bit, and then she said, Well, every time that you do something wrong, every time that you make me cry or make me unhappy, one of my hairs turns white. The little girl thought for a little bit, she says, Mommy, how come grandmom's hair are all white? (laughs) Oh, when revelation comes, huh? (laughs) Revelation is a time when all of a sudden... The things that we see suddenly make sense. Revelation is a time when we've seen all these different things going on, but then all of a sudden, ah, oh, I know why that is. That's Revelation. We were talking a couple of weeks ago on praying in the Spirit. And as a uh, week or two has gone by since then, some folks have been asking some questions and pressing into this. And so I thought we'd go back over that and just make sure that everybody's on the same page and under- understanding these things. I put in your outline this, seeing is not all bad. Our faith is based on what we see and understanding God's Word, but more wisdom and understanding awaits us in what waits to be revealed. God wants to reveal things to us, and down in our spirit, He has desired to reveal things to us regarding our life, regarding the Word, regarding of where we're going, regarding of what's ahead regarding about who we can help, regarding about how we pray. He desires to reveal these things to us. Most of the time, he's waiting for us to either ask the question, as we saw two weeks ago when we looked at Daniel, and we saw that when he asked the question, hold on a minute, we're 70 years here, as soon as he asked, Gabriel was sent. Make him understand. And more information than what he had seen in the Word was given to him, because he asked the question. Many times, God is just waiting for us to ask the question or to walk in the revelation of what we've already been given. And when we do that, then He's ready to pour out more. I need, Can okay, you have this. I need to see you walking in this. When you do, all right, now more is going to be coming. And then we need to operate in it. We need to have our prayers based in it. We need to have our beliefs based in it. Our expectation, our hope, our joy. All these things need to be based on the revelation of what God has given us. Over in the book of Genesis... Chapter 48, we referred to this two weeks ago when we were on this topic, but we didn't get into it. And just to review for you, praying in the Spirit, many times we look at praying in the Spirit and equate it with with speaking in tongues. That if I pray in the Spirit, I'm praying in tongues. But we went through the Word of God and we looked at how the gifts of the Spirit, that of those, of the nine gifts of the Spirit, eight of them are done in a language that you know. One is done in a language that you do not know, and that's the gift of tongues. But the other ones are done in a language that you know. And in the same way, the Spirit of God, when He helps us to pray, does not always have to just use a language that we don't know. Now, thank God for praying in tongues. Pray in tongues. Do that. We're not trying to belittle that or put that down. In any way, Paul said, I thank my God I pray in tongues more than you all. didn't even say more than most of you. He said more than you all. So he understood the benefit of praying in tongues. But there's also a benefit by praying by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. By the words that he gives us to pray, by the revelation that he gives us to speak. And this is a a thing that we need to do. We looked in, in Wednesday night too about Jesus' prayers for his disciples. If you weren't here for that, you can go up online, you can get that and listen to that one. But let's go over here to Genesis chapter 48. We're going to skip on down to verse 8. You can go home and read the whole chapter for yourself. But we're going to skip on down here to verse 8. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Now don't go reading 1 through 7 now. You didn't read it at home. You're not going to read it now. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees, and he bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both. Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand and brought them near. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, and he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, blessed the lads. Let my name be upon them in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, so he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head, because that made a difference to them. The right hand was, was the stronger blessing. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. Now, the reason that Joseph did this was he, he knew his father was not seeing real well, and that he was just about to die. He was getting really old and kind of weak, and so he thought he had to help him out. Now, notice this We're back over here in verse 14. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands what? Knowling. Knowingly. Knowingly. He knew. Now, I want to teach you something here. This didn't come to me until until worship, so it's not in your outline. You can write it in there if it means something to you. He did this knowingly. There is a difference between speaking out of revelation and speaking of inspiration. There is a difference between speaking out of revelation and speaking of or by inspiration. Too many Christians think that if it's by the Spirit, it's by inspiration most of what the Spirit leads us in is revelation. He also leads us in inspiration. But most of what He does is revelation. He reveals knowledge to us by which we can speak or act. Understand this. Israel's actions here are not done by inspiration. They are done by Revelation, because he did it knowingly. So how did he get that revelation? Because he sought after God about his kids, and even in this case, their kids. And as he sought after God on that, God revealed things to him. And based on that revelation, he acted in prayer. God said, all right, Ephraim is the younger one, but he is going to be greater than Manasseh. But they both will be great. But Ephraim will be greater. And so he, out of that revelation, switched his hands and put the right hand over the younger and the left hand over the older. And when Joseph tried to correct it, he said to, uh, to Joseph over in verse 19, But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. <laughs> I know, my son, I know. Once again, it's revelation. It has been revealed to him. I know. I know what I'm doing. Don't worry about it. I know Manasseh is going to be a great nation. But Ephraim is going to be greater. Now, he got that by revelation. Now, don't think that what it is that Israel is praying is causing the greatness. Because that wouldn't be right. What God is saying is, because of the choices, because of the decisions that Manasseh and Ephraim will make... This one will become greatest, and this one will become great. That's how it will be. So he blessed them that day, in verse 20, By you, Israel, will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he said, Ephraim, before Manasseh. Now, we're going to keep on going over here into chapter 49, verse 1. And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. Gather together that I may tell you What shall befall you in the last days? If you are going to tell someone what is going on, are you speaking by inspiration or revelation? Revelation. It has been revealed to you. Inspiration is when I speak the very words of God. Now you go into the Old Testament and you look at some of the words of David in the Psalms. You look at some of the words of Jeremiah in the Psalms when they had prophetic words about the Messiah regarding things they had no understanding. When Isaiah prophesied of the Messiah, the twofold ministry of which Jesus reads the first half when he's in the temple, did Isaiah speak about revelation? No, because he had no understanding of what this was. He spoke by inspiration. God inspired the words, but he did not understand the words that he said. When Abraham spoke at at the sacrifice, and he said, God will provide himself a lamb, did he speak out of revelation or out of inspiration? It's out of inspiration because he did not know what he spoke. But it was fulfilled in that Jesus Christ was a lamb provided by God. When at the moment, a ram was provided. He did not have the understanding of what he spoke, so his words became inspired. There is a difference between speaking out of what you know and speaking out of inspiration. Most of what we do in the area of prophecy, in the area of word of knowledge, in, is, is spoken by revelation. God has revealed something to us. Sometimes we step into the area of inspiration where I don't know what these words mean. And maybe sometime later on I'll come to know them. Now here's why, why I make that distinction and help you out with this. There are people or places out there that teach these things of prophetic prayer. And in that, they believe, well, I just get up there and pray it, and whatever I pray, it's just a prophecy, and it'll come about. They're trying to equate their words with inspiration, when primarily what they're supposed to speak out of is revelation. And then they treat the words that they say, well, I don't know. God had me say it, so it must have been for some reason. No, he doesn't take novices and and walk them into a place of inspiration. He'll take a novice and give you revelation and let you speak on that. And you speak out of the revelation that you have. Because what happens is, and we've seen this in the Word of God, where some people take revelation and they get puffed up. Some people take revelation and they try and equate it with inspiration and they draw attention to themselves. And God says, well, can't use that one when when they're doing this. Because God will not share His glory with another. So make sure you understand the difference between revelation and inspiration. Most of what we are going to do is in the area of revelation. Not all. God will sometimes inspire you. But sometimes I have a revelation of something and I speak it, but I mess up. Because my words weren't inspired. I got the revelation. I said it wrong. I did it in a wrong way. I didn't... Oh, I... I thought it was okay now I got it better. Now I can speak out of that and correct it. Feel free to correct it, but don't equate revelation with inspiration. You don't have to do that. Jesus or David would prophesy things about the Messiah. Je- Jesus himself even brought one of David's prophecies out. How is it that David calls the Messiah Lord if he's his son? Uh I don't know. <laughs> There's a difference between speaking out of revelation and speaking out of inspiration. When I speak out of inspiration, I don't have the understanding of it. When I speak out of revelation, He gave me the understanding and I speak out of that revelation to help those that are around. What Israel is doing here in this blessing is He is speaking out of revelation. God has revealed to him what will be coming and He has spoken out of it. So, And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. Gather together and hear, you sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. Unstable as water, you shall not excel, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi, our brothers, instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. The reason that their anger is counted as wrong and why it is an anchor to them and what something that will hold them back Is because their anger is based on self will. In their anger, they slew a man. In their self will, they hamstrung an ox. The anger came out of self will. If you have anger that comes out of self will, it is wrong and it will guide you down the wrong path. And that's why he was saying about these folks. And he said, because of this, this is what's going to happen. Now, let me ask you this question Can we overcome our past? Or are we always going to be the victim of it? Well, here that he's, he is depicting the past events of Reuben, of Simeon, and of Levi. And he has said some things about them that weren't so good. Well, God revealed to Israel that these three would not overcome their past, but would continue to make decisions based upon the same thing that they made the decisions out of those four. And they wouldn't grow in Revelation or grow in anything else. Now, he says here that I will scatter Simeon and Levi, scatter them in Israel. That was the prophecy, not prophecy, but that was, he, I mean, he's speaking out of understanding, speaking out of revelation. He says, you're going to be scattered over the face of Israel. Now, for Simeon, uh, it wasn't a good thing, it was a bad thing. For Simeon, I wrote down some numbers here. They were the weakest numerically of the twelve. In Numbers 26 and verse 14, a shared allotment of land the, with Judah and In uh, Joshua chapter 9 verse 1, they were the weakest numerically. Of all the 12 tribes, they had the fewest in number. One fact about them said, the tribe of Simeon became small during the wilderness wanderings. They started out from Egypt being the third largest tribe. You'll find that in Numbers chapter 1 and verse 23. But some 35 years later, at the second wilderness census, 63% of the tribe perished they became the smallest tribe in Numbers 26 now the prophecy for dividing was bad for Simeon but it was, ended up being good for Levi it ended up being good for Levi because at the base of the mountain when everyone else was rebelling and with the golden calf incident Levi stood with God when Moses came down he said who stands with the Lord and the tribe of Levi, Levi stood out And because of that, they were still scattered. But they were scattered with the role of the priesthood. And the priesthood would be scattered throughout. They they were not given inheritance. The Lord was their inheritance as it was said. So they were able to turn what sounded like wasn't going to be so good into a blessing. So they turned that into a a blessing. But what he said to them was still true. Both tribes were scattered. He, He didn't see that to prophesy bad things over them. He said what he knew. God has shown me this about you. This is what's going to happen. Now we get to Judah. Now, if you're Judah and you got down to first three, how you doing? We went through son number one, son number two, son number three, and it wasn't very good. And here comes son number four. Now, Jewish tradition tells us the Jewish was extremely nervous when he turned to him and said, Judah... <laughs> He was really nervous at this point, is what the Jewish traditions tell us. You know why? Because he didn't do so well either. He had a lot of problems. Judah was... Did not get, he was not like a, he was... The, the scepter fell to him because he was so good. He was... Found himself in a lot of messes. I'm not going to get into all of them. You can go through the Bible and find them yourself. But not so good. But Judah, you are he whom your brother shall praise... Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Binding his donkey to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth whiter than milk. Now, what this is talking about here is that Judah would be the ruling tribe. That out of Judah, the scepter would never depart. That Judah would always be the ruler. Now, here's what is interesting about this verse. He is speaking out of revelation out of what God has shown him for the future. He's speaking about that. But when God went out and picked the king, who did he pick? Saul, who was a tribe of? Not Judah. Now, isn't that interesting? Why would God, if the word here is given, that Judah would not lose the scepter, why is it given to Benjamin? Benjamin? Simple. God said, this is what's going to happen in the end. This is how it's all going to transpose. Now, I'm going to go out there and give it to Benjamin, but they're going to to let it go. He knew that already. And then we're going to pass it on to Judah. Even though God knows we'll make mistakes, thank God He still trusts us with stuff. How hard is it for us to trust people when we wonder if they'll make a mistake? (laughs) God still does it even knowingly. So Judah is the lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who shall rouse him. Revelation 5 and verse 5 says that Jesus is the Lion of Judah. The Lion of Judah. And I'm told that the land of Judah was extremely prosperous in the area of grapes. It was a big area for making wine. Now, Shiloh is a term that is uh, used... In regard to Messiah, the leadership prophecy here took some 640 years to fulfill in part of, uh, of of David reigning. Now, he didn't speak it as a prophecy, he spoke it as what he knew. We look at it as a prophecy because it hadn't happened yet. But he's speaking out of what was revealed to him was going to happen with these kids. So, 640 years for David to fulfill and to take the scepter and almost 1600 years until Jesus became the Shiloh. Well, let's go on. Now, from here on out, Israel is going to skip the birth order. He's gone through one, two, three, four in the birth order. He now skips the birth order and he jumps on over here to Zebulun. Zebulun is not the next, he is not the fifth born. I think he's like number nine. But the reason he does is he's, he's blessing all of the one family first. All of Leah's kids, I guess, first off. So, he, verse 13. Zebulun shall dwell by the haven of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall adjoin Sidon. Now, he's just speaking out of what he's seen about these guys. Can you imagine, though, praying for your kids to such a point that God gives you, this is what's going to happen centuries down the road. This is where they're going to go. This is where they're going to be. This is where they're going to live. This is what they're going to do. Now, Zebulun was noted for its faithfulness to David. They supplied him with numbers of soldiers to David's army, uh, more so than any other single tribe. Zebulun supplied the most. Of Zebulun, there were 50,000 who went out to battle, expert in war with all weapons of war, stout-hearted men, they called them, who could keep ranks, as, according to First Chronicles 12 and Verse 33. It says, he shall become a haven for ships. And the land of Zebulun that they got sat between the Mediterranean Sea and the Sea of Galilee. You can look to the east and you can look to the west and see the sea. Issachar is a strong donkey lying down between two burdens. He saw that rest was good and that the land was pleasant. He bowed his shoulder to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. It says he was a strong donkey. Issachar was a large tribe. It was a third in size, according to the Numbers 26 census that they took. Third in size. And because of their size and their abundance, they were often the target of oppressive bands of raiders that would come across. And eventually they became servants to them. They became slaves. Leopold puts this note about them. The meaning seems to be that Issachar was strong, but docile and lazy. He would enjoy the good land assigned him but would not strive for it. Therefore, eventually he would be pressed into servitude and the mere bearing of burdens for his masters. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider shall fall backward. I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. A judge and a serpent. Now, I don't know about you, but that serpent part don't sound so good. And shall judge his people. Now, what Dan is noted for, most particularly, is that the most prominent of all of the judges of Israel came from the tribe of Dan. You can probably all guess who that is. Samuel. Came from the tribe of Dan. But also, in the tribe of Dan came idolatry. The one uh, image of the calf was set up in Dan, and people went as far as Dan. The Word of God tells us to worship there. Dan was open to these kind of things coming in. They became a center of idolatry, so they became a serpent to the tribe of Israel, of Israel tribes of Israel. Gad, a troop shall tramp upon him, but he shall triumph. At last, and we're told that Gad, Gad supplied many fine troops for David in First Chronicles 12 and verse 14. In the last, in, in the days of Jeremiah, among other times, foreign armies oppressed Gad, and you'll find that over in Jeremiah chapter 49 and verse 1 that Gad was oppressed by them. Bread from Asher shall be rich, and he shall yield royal dainties. Didn't find as much on this guy, but bread from Asher shall be rich is uh, found in Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 24, when Moses again took out the prophecy regarding Asher. said, Asher is most blessed of sons. Let him be favored by his brothers and let him dip his foot in oil. Nephtali, he uses beautiful words, it says. He is a deer let loose. He uses beautiful words. Now, here's interesting about Nephtali. The land of Nephtali has key portions around the Sea of Galilee the region where Jesus did much of His teaching. I want to read a verse of Scripture for you. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, In the land of Zebulun, in the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon all those who sat in the region, the shadow of death, light has dawned. Now Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful bow. A fruitful bow by a well. His branches run over the wall. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him and hated him. But his bow remained in strength and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From there is a shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your fathers who will help you and by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the of the breast and of the womb, the blessings of your father have excelled, the blessings of your ancestors up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was who was separate from his brothers. Now what this is is, is mostly a depiction of where Joseph has come from. Not so much of where he's going, simply because he's already spoken over Ephraim and Manasseh. Verse twenty seven Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. Well, it was a tribe with a reputation for fierceness. You'll find that mentioned a number of times in the Word of God. You can look at Ehud in Judges chapter 3, verse 15 to 23. Saul, of course, the life of Saul, how ruthless he was. Paul came out of what tribe? Benjamin, and you can see the cruelty of Saul. or of, uh, He was Saul then, before he was Paul. You can see the cruelty that he had towards Christians and the murderous rampages that he went on. In Judges 19 and 20, you can also see some more accounts. Of this working in the uh, coming about in the life of Benjamin, and so what he does was he speaks out of things that were revealed, out of things that were revealed. I wanted to read this verse of scripture to you too. It's not in your outline. You'll have to pull this up on your own or write it down for yourself. And I didn't write down the uh, title. I I think it comes out of John 15, verse. Go with uh, verse... Um, well, I had it right there. Verse 15, I think it is. Nope, I had to go before that. Go to verse 12. I still have things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. He will tell you things to come. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. Why can I not hear them now? Because things have not been revealed. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. When He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. That's revelation. He's going to reveal things to you. For He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. He will reveal things to come to you. He will reveal things that are yet to come, and He will reveal them to you. Now, why does He do this? When you get to a point when you are ready... He wants to reveal these things to you that you either base your life out of it, that you base your prayers out of it, that you speak your prayers from it, that our prayers are in the Spirit because the Spirit has given us revelation and I speak in in my prayers, I speak out of that revelation that He has given us. Now, you'll speak this in prayers, you'll speak this in words of encouragement. God will reveal things to us. God will reveal things to us. Now, as we're going along in, uh, in this here today, God revealed something to me. And it was for a particular person. And that was for Peter. That the word of God is growing inside of you. And because of that, as it grows, it will draw attention. But he gave me an example that you'll understand. In the same way as in football, you gain attention if you're one of the better players. You notice the time when they they hand you the football and you have the football, all attention is on you. But you know you're a good player when all attention is on you when you don't have the ball. When people are focused on where you are when you don't have the ball, that brings about persecution. That brings about problems. But it's because of what you have done. The Word of God is growing on the inside of you. It will draw attention to you. Don't ever let it discourage you. Just, just say, well, I'm growing, and obviously I'm getting more attention even when I don't have the ball. That was the example I had for you, to, that it would mean something to you. Now, there was another word that was given, and I know exactly who it's for. But I'm not going to say who it's for, because first off, it's a general word that many people can use. Then if given the opportunity, I'll, I'll tell the person later on who specifically it was for, but it's still one that everybody else could, could use. And this is, a, this is one regarding doors, Doors are choices. Behind each decision or behind each choice is the wisdom of God. Or behind one of those doors is the wisdom of God. Behind the other door or doors are wisdoms that are based upon other things. Men's philosophy. Men's understanding. Socialism. Evolution. We base things out of all these these different things. But out of all the decisions that are in front of you, one is, is of the wisdom of God. If you go through one, you will walk in the wisdom of God. Now, here's the thing I saw as, I, as this was, was laid out for me. Of the doors that are in front of you, they all look identical. They all look identical. There is no difference between the doors. And so I thought, well, how are you supposed to know which door? The Word of God. This is, the, this is the word specifically. The Word of God that you know will guide you, will point out the correct door. When you walk through it is when you'll recognize this is the wisdom of God. But it's the Word of God that will, that will direct you to it. So know the Word of God. Do what the Word of God says. You're looking at doors. You're looking at choices. You're not sure which which way to go with it? But God will God will help you out with that. God will work for that. So if that that meant something for you, you can take it, even if it wasn't the person in particular that I had in mind when I came. Turn over to Luke chapter two, and verse twenty-two. Luke chapter two, verse twenty-two. Now, when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. I didn't look this up again. I was going to look up the actual law, but I believe this is what was given for a poor house. That if they were not poor, that they were to give something else, but they were bringing what was of the poor house. Now, what was interesting was they are not poor at this time. How do we know that? Because a couple of wise men Headed on down there and gave gifts. Gold and myrrh and all sorts of other stuff. Which means, to me, this is what it tells me. Joseph and Mary took the money that the, the people brought, the gifts that they brought, and set it aside. And that's what helped Jesus get going in his ministry. What discipline. To have set that, they brought this for, the, for what he would be doing. And uh, as far as we know, Jesus never lacked for money in all the things he did in ministry. But they brought a pair of turtle loves and two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been what? Revealed. Revealed. Primary operation of the Holy Spirit is to reveal things to you. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, if you got this revelation... You will not die until you see the Messiah. Would that change your outlook on life? Would that change your outlook on death? It surely would. You'd laugh at the face of death. I haven't seen Messiah yet. I'm not dying. Can you imagine having that revelation that God came to Simeon and said, You will not die until you see him. Now, I don't know exactly how old he is right here. But it says he's old. So I believe that he's old. Now, old people have lived life a long time and probably had opportunities to die. Probably had opportunities in which life or death was, either one was a possibility. I wonder how he looked at that. I wonder if there are opportunities that came to him to think that, you know what, That word you got from God that you'll see Messiah before you die, it's not going to work. Look how old you are. Look what's going on in your life. You're not going to make it much longer. Would you possibly see a scenario where he is tempted to think, well, I guess maybe I misunderstood God. I guess that wasn't really what he was saying to me after all and. Well, I just shouldn't be keep holding on to me. It's been a lot of years I've been hanging on to this and no Messiah. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. I don't see the Word of God describing too many people as coming by the Spirit into the temple. Most of them just walked. But it says that by the Spirit he came to the temple. Now, that tells us there's something a little bit different about how he's coming into the temple compared to how everybody else is coming into the temple. And I don't know if it was revealed to him that he would see the Messiah in the temple. Maybe he just assumed with what he was doing that he would see them there, whatever it was. But it seems like he comes to the temple with a spring in his step. He's just, oh, go to the temple today. Maybe today is a day that I see Messiah. Oh, I don't know if he was thinking that every day. No, take a look at this. So he came by the Spirit in the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Instantly, Simeon knew. This is him. How do you know that unless you're looking for it? He's looking for every child that comes up. Is this the one? Is this the one? Is this the one? How many of you after many years might have worn out from that? Well, you know, you just tell me when they're here. I'm just going to go about stuff and do things. You just tell me when they're here. No, he had that revelation. You will not die until you see Messiah. Now, if he's going to give him this revelation, what do you think God is into? You know, just, oh, FYI. (laughs) Just to let you know. No, if he's telling him, you will not die until you see Messiah, what would your next question be? What am I to do? When I see him. So he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. But he doesn't stop there. It's not like, oh, now I've seen him. Okay, I can die now. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. How many Jews knew that Messiah would bring light to the Gentiles? How resistant were they to Paul's revelation that the gospel would go out to the Gentiles? And here is the man in the temple who declares this in the temple to give light, revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled in all those things which were spoken of him. Don't know if there was more than that, but this is what made the Scripture. Now, verse 34. Then Simon blessed them and said to Mary his mother. Listen to what he's saying. Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul as well. Also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Is he speaking out of inspiration? Or is he speaking out of revelation? This has been revealed. God had revealed this to him. And he's saying, now, now mom, <laughs> it's going to be hard for you. But this is what's going to happen. It's going to bother you. But this is, this is God. This is what's down the road. Now, there was one, verse 36, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age as well. And had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years. Well, if you just add the 84 and the 7, you get 91. She's older than that. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who look for redemption in Jerusalem. Now, Anna, take a look at this. She walked in right when this is going on. Look what it says. And coming in that instant. You think it just happened that, well, time for me to go into the temple. What do you think something was revealed to Anna? Get in there. Something's going on. Okay. And just then, that instant, she comes walking on in. And she sees what's going on and she gives thanks to the Lord and spoke to Him to all those who look for redemption in Israel. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city in Nazareth. Well, most important in this passage, as we said to you already, something was revealed to him that changed his outlook on death. Certainly, On life. His prayer is not from words given to him, but truth revealed. His prayer is not from words given to him, but truth revealed to him. Simon had to have faith that what was revealed to him was true and would come to pass. Because you think, as we said, do you think situations came up that would speak something different to him? Do you think situations came up that said, you're not going to make it, you're not going to live all that long? He hasn't come yet. But despite that, he kept looking. All right, one more area here. John chapter 7. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. He says, go back to verse... Um, thirty eight, He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, he is not giving a direct quote from Scripture. You look at several Scriptures in the Old Testament to talk about this, Isaiah fifty eight eleven being one of them, but none of them are a direct quote. He is saying that the Scripture has said, the Scripture has taught this. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Out of your heart, out of your spirit, will flow rivers of living. Of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So he's saying the Holy Spirit is going to connect with your Spirit, and out of you, out of your heart, will flow rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. How many of you ever heard religious people speak stale water? It's not living water, it's stale. You listen to it and say, oh, oh, that's awful. If you get into a, you know, when most of us, were, we grew up in denominational churches, and some of us grew up in denominational churches that had stale word. We didn't know anything better. You know, if all you ever drink is stale water, it's water. But then all of a sudden, you come to a place and you drink some really good water. Wow. Where did that water come from? Oh, that water is good. Oh, I like that water. Got some more of that water? And then if you go back to try and drink the other water, what happens? Ew. Oh, that's awful. We used to use this technique for, for a short period of time. I used to sell these uh, water purifiers. And the whole thing was you go into the house and you set it up and the 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 deal was that you poured some of the water out of the water purifier and they always said, you have to do it this way. You must use a styrofoam cup. Must use a styrofoam cup. Do not use a glass. Do not use a plastic. Do not use anything else. Use a styrofoam cup. Still don't know what exactly it was, but I know it worked better with a styrofoam cup than any other. And so you say you take a styrofoam cup and you first off give them water that comes from the water purifier. And so, you know, we'd fill up the cup with the water purifier and then they drink it. And they, you know, we tell them things like, now water's not supposed to have any taste, flavor. It's supposed to be, you know, tasteless and all this, any odor. And we first thought, before we be taste it, we say, smell it. You smell anything? No, nope, don't smell anything at all. Good, all right, now taste it. They taste it? Good, now, now drink some more. And we'd have them drink a little bit more. And then we'd, uh, we'd get another cup. And we would fill it with water that came from their tap. The stuff they had been drinking all along. And we say, now smell this. Oh, I never noticed that before. Now taste it. They taste it. Oh, that's horrible. And you'd sell them a water purifier. You know why? Because as long as you are used to tasting the same water, it didn't change anything. They said it won't work if you have them taste their water first and then yours. You have to wash out their expectation. You have to wash out their mouth with something clean. And then give them the old water. And then it will have the the desired response. I was amazed at what that was. But that's what this is about. Living water. That we've been, we had grown up. We've been drinking stale water, stale water. But that's all we knew. How many of you all know those people who still go to church and get stale water? And you think, how can you do that? That's awful. And then sometimes, you know, they have something going on. They want family to come on in. And you go on over to the Stalewater Church. And you sit in the Stale Water Church. And you listen and you go, oh, dear Lord, how much longer is it going to be? Oh, man, it's only been 20 minutes. It feels like it's been two days. And you're trying to get going. And you're trying to move along. And then finally, oh, oh, we're out. Oh, man, that was horrible. Oh, that was terrible. Oh, I can't believe that they do stuff like that. <laughs> did you hear how they were praying? Doubt and unbelief. Oh, man, doubt and unbelief all through those prayers. I've never heard such doubt and unbelief in prayer. Oh, you, and you hear how they, they taught about that scripture? What a scripture. There wasn't any scripture in their day. <laughs> and you got all these kind of, and you come out with all that, but you didn't have that before, did you? You didn't know any of that before. It's like, oh, look at this. Jesus is saying, Living water is coming. And when you get a taste of it, oh, it's going to be good. Folks, we, we believe that we're feasting on the living water of the Word of God. But the Spirit of God wants to bring you into even greater amounts. He wants you to have rivers of living water flowing out from you. Not that you just become a receiver of living water, but that it flows out from you. How does living water flow out from you unless you open your mouth? Jesus equates the living water that He has with the words that He speaks. We need to have the word that's on the inside of us come out of our mouth and speak the living water and let that all become rivers of living water that flow out from us. And and it's a river. It's not going to run out of water. You can keep on giving more and keep on giving more and keep on giving more. But what happens to a river if you stop it up? Everybody say this. Bad things. things. It's bad things when you stop up a river. You don't want to stop up a river. A river is meant to flow. Let the river flow. There's a song about that. (laughs) Got to let it flow. So out of his heart shall flow. They are supposed to flow. Not spurt. Flow. It's a continual flow. Rivers of living water. Look at John 4, verse 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The water that I give him will become a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. You are to become a fountain. You are to become a river flowing that the Holy Spirit is going to give you revelation and you are to speak out of that revelation and as long as you keep speaking out of the revelation that you have, more comes. Mm-hmm. To him who has much, more. we take away from him and give to someone else so that we have all things equal. No. Now, what happens? To him who has much, more will be given. Tell so that to some of the people in government. <laughs> to him who has much, that's God's way. To him as much, more will be given. Why? Because you've been faithful with much. If you've been faithful with much, you'd be faithful with more if I give you. If you haven't been faithful with a little bit, why should I give you more? Now, Psalms 45, verse 1. I want you to look at this scripture. Psalm 45, verse 1. My heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. Look at this. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Is your tongue the pen of a ready writer? Or are you afraid to speak? Revelation verse 19 verse 10. Or chapter 19 verse 10. And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the Spirit of God of prophecy. The Word of God, folks, the Holy Spirit wants to reveal the Word of God to you. He wants to reveal things about the future to you. He wants to reveal things in prayer to you. He wants to reveal things for people that you can pray for. He wants to reveal things about your life. He wants to reveal things about your kids, as in the case of Israel with His twelve sons and even the two grandsons. He wants to reveal these things to you so that it shapes your prayers. So that it affects the things that you say. He wants you to pray by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not just to go off in another tongue that you do not know, but to speak out of that revelation. That you are going to pray to God and then go and study or listen to the Holy Spirit and He's going to give you revelation on a thing. And then you take that revelation and you tie it into your prayers. Too often, folks, we're learning the Word of God, but our prayers are staying the same. It should not be that way. As I learn the Word of God, my prayers should change. Some of us are still praying for the same thing we prayed in doubt and unbelief ten years ago. And we're still in doubt and unbelief about it. But we believe that we're growing in the Word. But it's not affecting the things that we're praying. There are some times I need to come to God and say, Father God, I've been praying that wrong. I shouldn't be doing that. That's not a thing that I should be praying for. I need to pray it like this. That's the thing I should be speaking to. I've got revelation on this now. I've been praying and asking you for this but this is the situation I am to speak to. I'm sorry. Forgive me for that. I'll speak to this thing for now and I won't bother this in prayer. We'll spend our prayer time on the things that you told me I am supposed to be praying about. You see, the Word comes in and it corrects us. And I pray by inspiration of that. How many times have we shown you in the Word of God that when Jesus, when the disciples, when Paul, when John, when all these folks dealt with sickness and disease, how many times did they pray to God for the sickness and disease to go away? It's a real easy number to count. Zero. Not one single time. Go through, if you don't believe me, go through the Word of God on your own. I've already done it, but you can go through it on your own. There was not a single time that Jesus, Peter, John, Paul, any of them ever prayed to God and said, Father God, heal this person. Not a one. And yet, how many times when someone gets sick, what is our prayer? Oh, Lord, please heal this person. Please come down and minister to this person because they're, they're sick and they... What are we doing? Revelation... Prayer, no effect. There's, they are not talking to each other. I'm maybe growing in the Word, but it's not affected my prayer life. My prayer life is staying exactly the way that it was. Has it changed? When I learn something in the Word, it needs to affect me. Now, we learned it for a long time. we praying to God, and I still have to kick myself once in a while. I still find myself going out there and praying something, and I just, I just stop. No, I speak to sickness and disease. Just as Jesus did. Just as Peter did. Just as John did. Just as Paul did. And many others. We speak to that. That's not something I need to ask God for. But there are some things that I'm supposed to ask God for. So I go to God and I say, Father God, I'm asking you for this. And you said, if I ask it in your word, believe that I receive it and I shall have it. So I'm going to believe that I receive it and I have it. We don't have to mess with this again. We don't have to bring this up again. We're done. I've asked. I believe I've received. We're over with this thing. See, I'm letting the Word of God, the revelation that I get, affect my prayer. It's too often, folks, Christians stay weak and on the milk of the Word because they're not taking what they're learning and having it affect what they're saying, what they're praying, and how they're living. It must have that effect or you become stale. There's no living water because it's not affecting me. So when I learn that the Word of God says, speak to this, speak to this, speak to I speak to that. I don't pray that anymore. When the Word of God says, ask this, I ask that. When the Word of God says, believe this, I believe that. But I have the Word of God to fall back on. When the Word of God says that, shows me time just from the examples we looked at here today, you can press in and ask God to reveal things about your kids. To reveal things about their kids. You can ask God for that and God will show you some things. And then you can just bring that right into your prayer. You can do that. Look at the prayers of Paul in Ephesians and Colossians. Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. Colossians chapter 1. Look at those prayers. He had revelation on those churches and he spoke prayers out of those revelations. Jesus often was told, or we're often told to him, that He knew their hearts and therefore He... because revelation was given. God will speak revelation to you, but when God speaks revelation to you, He expects some action. Otherwise, I would come under the guise of one who is unfaithful. I've given you things, you just let it sit there. I gave you that revelation, what did you do with it? I gave you that understanding. What came of it? Nothing. Come on. Let's get with it. You've got understanding. You've got knowledge. You've got wisdom. Walk in the light of what you know. Too often, folks, we are not walking in the light of what we know. And that's why we're having trouble. That's why we're having struggles. I know some things in the Word of God, I don't know everything. But how many of y'all know some things in the Word of God? You've been walking with God for a little while. You know some stuff. It's not prideful to say, I know some stuff in the Word of God. If you wonder about it, go find a heathen on the street. Talk to them. You'll find out, Dear Lord, I'm a genius compared to these people. Oh, man. You know, I don't know about... I I, I don't watch the news to hear this, but I heard some um, uh, YouTube clips or some kind of, uh, you know, People were were showing some things about those folks that are in the uh, Occupy group. Yes. My word, ignorance as Brother Hagley, ignorance gone to seed. I cannot believe that people that ignorant can get up in the morning and brush their teeth, get a shower. Unbelievable! I've heard some of the things these people were saying. It's like, are you serious? You really think this? This is really how your mind works? You think other people are just going to work hard so that you can go to college for free? Really? You think that you ought to just sit at home and eat bonbons? And people will pay for your food, your education, and give you money to sit at home? Really? This is what you think? based on, I heard one person say, based on what? What, what, what makes you think that that should happen? I don't know, it just seems decent. Anyway, you talk to some heathen about the things of God, and folks, you are a certified genius. You know some stuff. Don't ever look at yourself in the mirror and say, I don't know enough about the Word of God to do anything. Yes, you do. You'll put some people to shame for what you know. So operate in the light of what you know. And more light will come. Operate in that light. See, sometimes, I'll give you an example. How much time we got? Say that God gives you a revelation on someone in your family that you've been praying for cousin, uncle, whatever. Aunt, I don't know what, just somebody in your family. Not real close, to them, but somebody in there. You got the word of whatever was going on. And as you were praying for them, God gave you revelation about their life. Well, they need to fix this, this, and this in their life. And what do you do with it? One, you don't go there and say anything to them. Two, the next time a need comes up for that person, you immediately go to God. Oh, God, please help this person out in this thing. I'm not letting revelation affect me. One of the stories Brother Hagin told us, I I love this story. It was was good. It was about a particularly healing evangelist. I like the story because of what it taught us about God. A particular healing evangelist, I could say his name, you would know him. Most, some of you would know him. He was uh, from from long ago. And uh, the Word of God came to him and says, you need to go and tell this brother he needs to judge himself in three areas. And one was money. One, I think, was pride. And I still don't remember what the third one was. But there were three areas. He said, you need to judge yourself in those three areas. And two years later, Brother I think Hagen had even forgotten and he'd given him the word. There was a meeting of a bunch of the people from the word of healing or whatever the group that was there. And they said, Brother so-and-so is sick and in the hospital. We need all, Can we get all the ministers to come on up here and we're going to pray for Brother so-and-so. And so Brother Hagan got out of his seat. He was all the way in the back for some reason. Got all the way out of his seat, came all the way up to the front, put his first foot on the step to go up on the stage and be up there with all the rest of the ministers. And immediately God said, why bother praying for him? He didn't judge himself. He'll be dead in whatever, I think, three days or whatever it was it was going to be. Brother Hagin turned right around and walked back to his seat and sat down next to his wife. His wife leaned over to him and said, what did God say to you? He said, how do you know that God said anything to me? He said, I could, she said, I could tell. God said something to you. What did God say? He said that he didn't judge himself and he'll be dead in whatever number of days. Sure enough, he was. Now, why would we go and and bother praying in a situation like that? You see, revelation has to have an effect on what we pray. But too often we just, well, we'll just pray and see what happens. No, don't just pray and see what happens. Prayer is a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. But you take a powerful tool and put it in the hands of a novice and they won't use the power that's there or they'll use the power in a wrong way and hurt somebody. Prayer is a powerful thing, but we're just throwing things up against the wall. Well, let's just see if this has any effect. Well, I'll just, you know, I'll just pray and see what happens. No. Let the revelation of the Word of God affect the way that you pray. Let it change the way that you pray. And instead of praying an hour on the thing, you can pray in two minutes and be done. Because you prayed based on revelation. You prayed based on what God showed you. And that will be effective. The Word of God doesn't say the prayers of a righteous man will avail much. It says what? The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. But too often, folks, we're stopping at righteous. Well, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, so I'll bring this to God. Quit it. Get effective. Become effective. Get revelation. Let God reveal things to you and speak out of that. When you go to prayer, go to prayer with what you know. Pray the word that you know. And as you pray that word that you know, God is going to begin to share some other things and reveal some other things. And you can pray out of that. God is looking for people who will pray effectively. He's looking for people who will take the revelation that He gives and put it to work. But too often, folks, we're showing them Christians who when we get revelation, well, that's in this compartment over here. And then here's my prayer life over here. Oh, this is good. We put this on this side. And we pray No, you need to bring them together. Revelation feeds your prayers. Revelation should feed your prayers. It should change the way that you pray. Don't give in to the pressure of other believers. Well, we all need to pray for this. If you have revelation on it, stand up and say, no, we don't. That's not what the Word of God says. They may shoot you down. They may not talk to you anymore. That's fine. They did the same thing to Jesus. Did the same thing to Peter. Did the same thing to John. You'll be in good company. Stand up for what the Word of God says. And the worst case scenario is they don't involve you in unrighteous prayers, unscriptural prayers anymore. That's the worst case, right? Pray based on revelation. Pray based on the Word of God Saying something. You don't have to feel that they are inspired by God. You don't have to feel that every word you're saying is coming straight from the Holy Spirit. But He gave you revelation. There may be times that may happen. And you may say something. Did I say that? I don't remember saying that. Did I say that? You may have that come out. And sure enough, that's, that was that was so. And there may be some inspiration that comes. But look for the prayers that come out of the revelation that you have. And as you're praying, God will give you some more Revelation. And then you speak out of that. Your faith grows tremendously when you do that. You will grow by that. Because God is speaking to you. You have faith for it. You pray. Things change. Things happen. That will grow you. That will grow you real quick. Get into the revelation. Pray it. Have it affect your prayers. Because if your revelation is not changing the way that you're praying, what good is it? If your revelation isn't changing the way that you're living, what good is it? If the revelation you get from God doesn't change the way you believe, what good is it? It's no good just to have piles and piles of revelation. The revelation that you have should affect how you pray, how you walk, how you believe. It should affect that. Let it affect it. Don't stand up with me. Glory to God. Father, we just thank you for the power of God at work in us. We thank you, Father, that you're, we are allowing the Holy Spirit, to speak revelation to us. Revelation about your word. Revelation about situations that are going on. Revelation that we hear about. We take to you in prayer to seek after you. Father God, what is your will in this thing? What is your your desire here? And you show us. And we speak out of that revelation. And we say those things, just as we saw in the case of Simeon, just as we saw in the case of Israel, how they saw things and they spoke out of it. Knowing that even though I have no basis to say this is true or false because it was revealed to me by God, I trust that it's true. By the way, thank you. for This This will change our life. It will change our prayers. It will change the way we walk. I thank you for the help that you give us in this.